We have carpet squares up here on the floor, which you're welcome to uh, sit in. You can sit on the steps. We have some seats open yet in the choir loft. All right. If you have a seat open near you, would you just raise your hand? Paul's got a lot. Somebody can sit in my spot. My spot's open. You got one right there? All right. You got to love, love climbing back there. But we got seats. We got spots. All right. Who loves to worship? Right? Right? What a gift it is that we happen to go to a college that values worship. Right? What a great thing. What a really cool thing that is. And the, the guy who was up here first telling you all about what we do in worship, that's Pastor Paul. Right there. Right there. Yes. Uh, he forgot to say his name because he was so excited about worship, <laughs> which is a good thing to have in somebody who's in charge of worship. So uh, we worship here on Sunday nights. We worship every day at 10 right here. The schedules are out. Look at that. They are there for you to plan. Um, September on one side, October on the back, so you can plan ahead. We encourage you to make this a habit. And with everything, it's a little bit easier to develop a habit if you have a buddy. So we encourage you to find a worship buddy. So right now in this room, you got people who love worship. So you could just grab somebody and say, congratulations, you're my worship buddy. <laughs> That's totally fine to do. Yep, just bond it up right now. Just find somebody. Great, great. And you can have like worship uh, quads, worship triplets, worship quints. Worship herds. All right, come on back. Come on back. Come on back. Thank you. I love the enthusiasm. All about it. All right? So if you still need to find a worship buddy, come to chapel because there's them there too. It's pretty great. Uh, just a heads up, tomorrow is Labor Day. Yes. If you're from another country, that means we don't have school tomorrow. That's, that's what that means. It's an American holiday, and uh, we celebrate labor by not laboring. It's kind of nice. On Tuesday, which is the first day of classes, woo! That, that needed a little more coaxing. That needed a little more. Some of you are like, eh. This class schedule is different because we have something called convocation. Yes. Thank you for that enthusiasm. Convocation is uh, the day of the school year when you think you go to Hogwarts because all the professors wear their robes and their caps and their colors and they look really cool. And I, I'm not making any promises, but there may or may not be wands available. So convocation happens Tuesday morning in the arena at 9.50. So what day does it happen? Tuesday. At what time? 9.50. And where? All right. And here's important things. Snacks after. All right. Go check that out. And we will hear from uh, the very good president, Dr. Leroy, for that. So you want to, I mean, come on. The beard will be in the house, okay? So convocation on Tuesday, and then we start up 
uh, with Chapel, so check those things out. You need a Chapel Buddy. We also have stickers. Oh, I dropped the sticker. Stickers, that's a loft on them available for you, so check those out. These are all on the back as you enter, all right? So, um, all right, I did stickers. I did chapel calendar. All right. So, this event on Sunday evening takes some people to keep it going. Um, And so, we would love to have some of you be some of those people. And we have opportunities for you to greet at the door to be in charge of coffee and cookies that take place after downstairs. That's why I'm gesturing that way, down in the chapel, the basement. Coffee and cookies. Um, If you are interested in dance or the visual arts or projection, shout out to David running projection tonight. Thank you for that. Doing sound is a paid position, so shout out to Colin, but you can't volunteer for that one. So thanks, Colin. All right. So greeter, coffee, visual arts, projection, dance, prayer servants. So another great opportunity to volunteer is that we have people who pray for the service before. They walk through the chapel, they pray for the worship team, they pray for me or whoever is preaching, and then afterwards they're available to pray with you. Um, And it can be like a 10-second prayer, like, I'm really homesick, just pray for that right now. Great. It can be a longer prayer, whatever you need. We have two of them who are available tonight who are alums from last year. So they'll be in the back. Actually, one's a real alum and one's just an alum being a prayer servant who's back. So Daniel and Jamie will be right there in the back. So if you have something on your heart that God's prompting you to get some prayer for, for you or a friend or a family member, they will be right in the back. If you want to be part of this ministry, you can also sign up for that downstairs below. So those are the opportunities. And then some of you know that our chaplain, Matt Postma, and his wife have been eagerly awaiting the birth of their child, and that happened today, this morning. Yes. Yes. Yes, indeed. Woo. We were starting to remind his wife that no one walks around 10 months pregnant. Like, it does happen. So Johanna Eden Postma was born this morning. Little baby girl. And uh, they are exhausted because they were up all night trying to get her to enter the world. So, great. And then the other thing we do uh, here at Loft is we take an offering. And there are a couple of reasons why we do this. We think that just like worship and scripture reading and prayer, giving is a spiritual discipline. And it's one that we want to start now when we're young. Because if you start when you have no money, can I have a witness? Right? (laughs) Yes. When you are faithful with little things, God will put you in charge of much. Right? So if you're faithful now, someone's claiming that promise right there. (laughs) If you are faithful now and you have little and you just simply develop the pattern of giving, it will be a whole lot easier when the Lord blesses you with some sort of income stream to keep giving. And so we have that opportunity here. And we give for the same thing every week. And that's called the Community Care Fund. Sophomores and juniors, who is the Community Care Fund for? That's right. It's for students. So it's students giving to students. So sometimes we have somebody who comes um, and they don't have dental insurance and they come up with just like they need a root canal or something. Right? We give to that. All right? They they go to the student student life office. Um, Our vice president, shout out to Sarah Visser, our VP. Right? Right over there. Is that Emma? Emma, welcome. Glad you're here. Great. 
Emma and Sarah just moved here from California along with the rest of their family. And so uh, they may be feeling a little homesick, a little displaced. And Emma started special school this week, so she knows what it's like to go to a new school and meet new people, right? Emma's your model right there. She's got it down already. She can give you tips. So you go to see uh, our vice president, Sarah Visser, and we talk about um, what you need and how we can help. Sometimes we have people who have deaths in the family. They need to fly home on a short notice. We're able to cover that. And so, um, so that's what we give for every week, community care fund, students helping students. So we're going to take the opportunity to do that right now. So our offering, people will come and take our offering, and we will give as God has blessed us. Very chatty. We'll have someone from our community. You can stand up all the way straight, Jiang. It's all right. It's okay. Uh, we'll have someone from our community come and, and ask for prayers on behalf of a dorm 
or a project neighborhood house or some other community on campus, and we'll have a representative for them and we'll pray for them. So these are prayers for our community, for the Calvin College community. We'll pray for our nation. We'll pray for the world, our nations, I should say. We'll pray for the world. Um, but it's for us to talk about what we need to talk about. And that's what the sermons are too. They're really for us, for what we need to talk about, for what may be going on in your lives that needs to be addressed by Scripture. So this is the, the gift of the service is that we all get to talk about the Calvin College stuff. Uh, together in worship before God, which is great. So let's do that in prayer now. God, we are so grateful to be at a place where your name is lifted up. And not just in the chapel, Lord, but in the classroom and in the gym, in our dorms and apartments and houses. We thank you that this is a place where Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and we're not afraid to say it. Thank you. And Lord, as amazing as this place is, we also are very aware that some of us are feeling very homesick. The food is different, and the weather is different, and the people are different, and we're just lonely. And people are being really nice and kind, and yet we're just lonely and homesick. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you go by the name Comforter. And so we claim the promise of your comfort for everyone who's feeling a little bit displaced, a little lonely, a little homesick, that you will come alongside them. And Lord, we pray that you will give us the opportunity to be your hands and heart and feet and eyes in this place so that we can see the people who are in need of some encouragement, in need of an invitation out in need of the opportunity to sit around and eat raw cookie dough in the kitchen. Lord, we, we pray that we will be those kind of people, that we will be hospitable as you have been hospitable to us. And as we think about hospitality and we think about we being welcoming, we are very aware of the crisis of refugees that is happening across this world. We are heartbroken at families that have been torn apart at the deaths of mothers and fathers and children who are trying to flee evil and start over. Oh, Lord, we pray that whatever country we are from, that it will be a country that is compassionate and loving and welcoming. Because we are very aware that we were strangers and you welcomed us in. We were naked and you clothed us. We were hungry and thirsty, and you fed us and gave us something to drink. And you have told us, Jesus, that one of the markers to know how much we love you is when we do that for other people. So help us to be generous. Help us to encourage our governments to do the right thing. Help us, even out of our own meager incomes, to give and to pray and to long for the day when someday everyone will be at home and all will be at peace. We do long for that day, Lord. We long for the day when Jesus will come again. We have sung the truth that Christ has risen from the dead, that death no longer has any power, it has no sting, and yet we are so aware that we live among death and destruction and disease. And so we long, Jesus, for you to come back. We long for your return to put everything right, 
everything right inside us and everything right around the world. We thank you that as we're going to study the prophet Isaiah this semester, that he's going to point us to us the things that have gone wrong. But he's also going to give us the hope of a God who makes all things right. And so as we turn to that word tonight and in the weeks to come, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you move among us in a mighty and powerful way. So if there's anything in us that needs to be put to death, if there's any idol that needs to be cast down, it will be in the name of Jesus And we pray that if there are things in us and across this campus that need to come to life, that we will get out of the way so that they can come to life. Lord, give us courage, courage to live the life you invite us to live, even when it costs us. So we pray tonight as we think about your word and we think about your world and we hear testimony that you will continue to encourage us evermore so that we'll become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. So for the next several weeks until Thanksgiving, we'll be looking at the book of Isaiah, which I think most of you know. We're doing 10 weeks of sermons on it, and we'll start really getting into it next week. Tonight, I'm going to introduce you a bit to the book of Isaiah as a whole and a bit to me through testimony. And so I'm going to start by inviting you to recite back to me one of my favorite verses from Isaiah that we'll use as the frame for this evening. So I'll say a line and then you say a line back. Good? I, the Lord, Lord. have called you in righteousness... I will take hold of your hand. I will take hold of your hand. Isaiah 42, verse 6. Isaiah 42, verse 6. I, the Lord, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I, you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will take hold of your hand. Isaiah 42, verse 6. Isaiah 42, verse 6. Great. Thank you. So when people ask me, what does a college chaplain do? I can come up with a list of things, a list of tasks that I do. I preach here on Sunday night. I pray with people. I give pastoral care and counseling to students and staff and faculty and whoever else comes into my office for chocolate. I, as sophomores and juniors and seniors will know, I Every now and then, I take a big Calvin College flag and I run with it around the gym or at other sporting events. In February, uh, despite um, my advanced degrees and some would say intelligence, I jump into a freezing cold pond (laughs) along with 600 of my closest friends. Oh, my friends, just wait. So there are things that I do. There are tasks that I accomplish. I mentor my staff. I I sit with the vice presidents on the cabinet for the president to encourage him to move the college in the way that God is leading us to move it. There are a lot of things that I do. But as I was thinking about tonight, and I was thinking about my work, this idea that I've had since early summer kind of came to the forefront. The core of my job 
is to help you prepare to die. Now you may think that one of the reasons that's on my heart is because we've had two students who died this summer. Chase Frozy would have been a junior with us. She studied philosophy and business. She loved hiking and sunrises and laughter and coffee. She was swimming with friends in Lake Michigan and she was pulled out by a rip current and she drowned. Michael Thompson should be with us this fall. Michael spent the year between high school and college fighting brain cancer. And he came to Calvin and he had a wonderful year in Boer Benink where he was the community partnership coordinator. And we knew him as someone with a big heart and a big smile. And he started his second year with us and made it to November before the cancer came back. And those of you who were worshiping here last spring know that in April he came to Loft and he sat about where Billy is sitting. And we gathered around Michael and we laid hands on him and we prayed for him. And a lot of us didn't know that would be the last time we would see him. He called me in June and he said, Pastor Mary, the cancer's back and it's spread and the doctors have given me two to three months to live. And he died 10 days ago. And I spoke at his funeral in Indiana on Wednesday. So you could think, well, this seems kind of poignant to talk about preparing to die when we've had two students die. And it is. But it's actually been churning in me all summer as I've been studying the book of Isaiah. Because the first half of the book of Isaiah is all about Isaiah preparing the nation of Israel to die. He says to them, you've blown it. You've done the wrong things. You've worshipped the wrong gods. It's going to come down on your head. It's coming. You're going to die. The ideas that you had about who you were, the ideas that you had about who the nation of Israel was, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die. It's going to die. You had these ideas. You had these dreams. You thought you knew who you were. You thought you knew how God acted, and you were wrong. The nation that you know will come to an end and you will go into exile. And some of you will literally die and all of you will suffer the death of a dream. So as I was thinking about Isaiah and thinking about the conversations I have with students over the course of the year, I was thinking about all of the deaths that you suffered during your college years. There's the death that comes like this. You imagine yourself majoring in something. Let's say you told people back home that you were going to study, let's say, engineering. You put it in, you know, that, that high school graduation program. It said your name. It said you're going to Calvin College. You're going to study engineering. Your mom and dad got to tell people something that sounded like legitimate. It's going to study engineering. We kind of have an idea of what that is. And you get to Calvin and you're here like six weeks, eight weeks, you're taking those first couple of classes in the major and you kind of get into week nine and week 10, you start to think, hmm, I don't think I like engineering. <laughs> and then it's like Thanksgiving and you gotta go home and everyone's like, hey, how's Calvin, how's the engineering? And you're like, ah. I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. 
before. And there's this death of what you thought your life was going to be and what you thought you were going to study and now you really don't know and there's anxiety in you and maybe in your parents or family members. What are you going to do? I don't know. Ah, we're spending all this money. I don't know. And then there's uh, the death that happens when you've come into a friendship with someone and you know each other well, and you're working toward the same things, and maybe you move in together, and you're enjoying each other's company, and it's really great, but then somebody does something, and it's a little bit hurtful, and then they kind of add to it, and then that thing isn't confessed, and it's not forgiven, and it just kind of festers, and it gets to be about April, and you're like, well, we just can survive another six weeks. We don't have to really resolve this. And this friendship that has brought you such light and life and joy just dies. Or maybe you envisioned being able to go on a semester abroad, and you're like, this is going to be great. This is one of the key reasons I came to Calvin. I'm so excited. I'm going to go in the semester. I'm going to learn my language. I'm going to travel. It's going to be awesome. And then you go to apply for the semester abroad, and there are 50 people applying for 28 spots. And the time comes, and they say, yeah, you're not one of the 28. And you think, oh, I had everything mapped out. I had a plan, and there's this death of what you thought life was going to be. You ask somebody out on a date, and one day it turns into four, turns into six months, turns into a year, turns into longer than a year, and you're thinking, ooh, this could be a thing. This could go the distance. <laughs> you start, like, doing the little, you know, daydreaming things, and then the person sits across from you from a caramel latte and says... I don't want to see you anymore. And there's this death. I don't know. For those of you who are first-year students, I don't know the deaths that are going to come your way. But I know there are going to be some. And there are some that are our own fault that we are culpable for, that we are responsible for, and there are some that are just because sin is in the world and every now and then it just smashes right into your life. And it hurts. And so as I was thinking about preparing to die, I thought you may find it helpful if I talk to you about a death that I've experienced and give you a bit of testimony about what God's been up to. So when I graduated from Calvin, I graduated with a major in classics. Woo. Anything? I know. Nerds unite! Uh, so I graduated with a major in classics, which is ancient history, Latin, Greek. And I went to seminary, and I entered seminary with a man to whom I was engaged, and we were excited about sharing ministry together and sharing life together. We made it through a year of seminary together, and we started the second year of seminary. We made it halfway through, and he said... I don't want to do seminary anymore. And this dream that we had had of co-pastoring a church someday just kind of died. And I stayed on the path and graduated from seminary, and he kind of floated from job to job and was never really settled, was never really content. And I got a call to a great church here in Grand Rapids, and I loved it, and we were doing well. But there was this growing distance in my marriage. And I couldn't figure out why it was there. 
I was doing all the things you're supposed to do. Spraying all the prayers you're supposed to pray, reading all the books you're supposed to read, doing all the things, checking the things off the list. And my marriage wasn't getting better. And I didn't know why. Until 15 years ago this weekend, I booted up my computer to work on my sermon for the next day. And when I looked at it, there were things that came up as being recently looked at that I didn't know what they were. Now, this is 15 years ago. So this is like before the internet was really fast and before Google. Can, I know you can't imagine. <laughs> and so it took me a while to figure out what, like, was my computer having an issue? Like, what was happening here? And so through a bit of sleuthing, I figured out that what I had discovered was gay pornography. I was immediately nauseated. And I started to cry. And I thought about the eight years that we had been married. And all of these things began to kind of crash in on me. And oh, by the way, I had to preach the next day. And so I confronted my husband and we went to therapy. We'd been each going to therapy. Now we went to therapy together all fall and deep into the winter. And then one cold, snowy February Saturday, he sat across the dining room table from me and he said, I'm gay and I don't want to be married anymore. And I was the pastor of a church a church that was doing well and growing and having a building program. And the day after he told me that, we were going to dedicate a house in partnership with Calvin College to do a project neighborhood ministry together. And so there are so many things that seem to be going really, really well, and my marriage was dying. That's what happens when the big external stuff just comes crashing into your life? But here's what God does, see? He says, oh, wait a minute. We're not going to waste this crisis. There are things in your life that need to be looked at a little more closely because of this. There are things in your life that have been idols. And we're going to take a look at those. And it started this way. During the holidays, before he had made this announcement to me, I sat with my therapist and I said to him, I cannot get a divorce. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, other people can get a divorce. That's perfectly fine. I cannot. You see, I pastor this church. I have a reputation to uphold. I am one of the first women ordained in this denomination. I cannot get a divorce. Other people can get a divorce. That's fine. Okay. Not me. I'm also the good girl. I follow all the rules. I did not skip class. I always went to chapel. I wish I was joking. I'm not. <laughs> That's who I am. That's who I was. 
And so I said to my therapist, this is not an option for me. And he locked eyes with me and he said, Mary, if you stay in this marriage, you'll be dead by 40. Because he had watched me over the months as my hair was falling out and my cheeks were starting to sink in and I was in constant stomach pain and I had been to the hospital for chest pain. He had seen the toll that all of this was taking on me and he said, no. And I drove away and I thought, well, obviously he's not right. And God said, really? Really, is he not right? Really? Really, is your reputation as Pastor Mary worth more than your life? Is your future career worth more than right now, today, living and breathing with hope? Because I had made an idol out of the reputation and I had made an idol out of the career. And it would be very tempting to say, oh, you know, the marriage ended and there you go. But God was like, no, 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 we are not going to waste this crisis because you and I have some work to do. Do you know how humiliating it is to go through a divorce as a pastor of a church? Do you know how humiliating it is to admit that the reason for the divorce is because your husband was gay? 15 years ago? And to have people make snide remarks like, well, you didn't know he was gay when you married? <laughs> what even is that? So I would qu quote Ross from Friends. You know Ross from Friends, the, the TV show? <laughs> right? Ross's first marriage ended the same reason my first marriage ended, and he would say, she didn't know she was gay, how was I supposed to know? I'd be like, yeah, Ross, you and me. <laughs> so the marriage ended, and my church gave me six weeks of leave to kind of breathe and find an apartment and rebuild my life a little bit. And I came back to the church, which is a great church, and I worked there for two more years, and I just thought, well, it feels like there's more stuff that needs to happen. And so I left the church, and I went, uh, I should have gone to Hawaii for six months, but instead, I went to a PhD program at the University of Illinois, because that's what Christian Reformed people do. Uh, <laughs> for a respite. And so I, uh, I went through this PhD program, and uh, for the first time in eight years, I was not caring for 700 other people, and I was no longer pastor married to anybody. And God said, let's, let's get to work on some other things now, and showed me that there were some deep wounds that needed to be healed, and it was hard and holy and messy work it's not quite all done yet. It was a season of like deep healing and looking at stuff that I didn't want to look at. And I finished the program and 
there was this one-year job in a communications department in Grand Rapids, Michigan at Calvin College. And my PhD was in communications. I was like, I could do that for a year. So I did that for a year. And then there was this job that opened at the seminary teaching preaching, serving as the preaching professor. I thought, I could do that. And so I went and I did that. And I was doing okay and it was fine. But then there was this job at the college that opened up to be chaplain of the college. And I thought, well, that's kind of flaky. I've only been the seminary professor of preaching for like a year and a half. That's like super flaky to be like, ah, bailing. (laughs) This is another way that God works. So I was on the fence. I should apply. I mean, I've wanted the job since I was like 19. (laughs) But I felt so flaky about it. So I thought, well, Lord, you just, you got to be clear on this. And one day, on one day, three colleagues of mine from all over North America wrote me in the same morning to say, I've been thinking about this job, and I think you should apply. I was like, okay, all right, thank you. (laughs) He's not always that clear. Do not take that as like what he always does. It's part of the testimony because it's unusual, all right? So I apply for this job, and in 2009, I started as chaplain of Calvin College. And in 2010, I had a friend who said to me, I think I've got someone you should meet. And I was like, okay. (laughs) I mean, you know, I was single for 12 years. I'd been single longer than I'd been married. I was like, "Uh uh-huh, okay. And so we had a first date, which led to a second date, which led to two and a half years of dating, and now two and a half years of marriage. I know. I know. Yes. Yep. If you go to the gym regularly, you'll see him. Um, He went to another college. But we love him. This is the way we show our love and compassion from those who are other. (laughs) And it would be very tempting to say, oh, look, there's the redemption. Oh, marriage dies. No marriage. Yay. And scene. (laughs) But that's not it. Because when I was going through the death of my first marriage, I spent a lot of time reading the second half of Isaiah. Because where the first half of Isaiah talks about how you get ready to die, the second half of Isaiah talks about a God who brings his people back to life. And the verse that I had y'all recite at the beginning, Isaiah 42, verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand That was a verse that I just recited and wrote on paper and had post-it notes all over the place to remind myself that while I was going through the valley of the shadow of what felt like a thousand deaths, God was holding on to my hand. And I didn't always feel it, and I didn't always believe it, and I surely didn't always see it, but I had to cling to the truth that the God who was putting to death in me the things that needed to die, my arrogance and my pride and the stock I put in my reputation, that that God would bring me through to life. 
So the redemption in the story is not, oh, look, bad marriage, good marriage. That's not the story. The story is, I had idols that needed to die. And God put them to death, and it hurt like holy hell. And then God said, now let's talk about how to bring you back to life. Let's talk about the fact, Mayor, that I love you, not because you're Pastor Mary, because I'm God. And I just love people because that's who I am. And I love you just, just for who you are. It was a very Bridget Jones moment. Just for who you are just exactly as you are. And nothing you can do can change that. Nothing you do, Mayor, will make me love you any more, and nothing you do will make me love you any less. So let's talk about that together. You see, that's what God does. And that's why in my work with you all, the holy task we have together is to figure out the things in us that need to die And to trust that even though it may hurt, that God is doing something even through it. And that the God who is the God of resurrection has every intention on bringing you back to life. This is what he does, you know. Isaiah 42, the whole chapter, talks about the servant of God, the servant of God who will do good things, the servant who will, it says, there will be bruised reeds and he will not break them. There will be smoldering wicks and he will not snuff them out. And scholars say, oh, yes, of course that's about Jesus. Of course that's a sign of the Messiah. But it's also about the nation of Israel, a nation that had been for all intents and purposes dead God was saying, I'm not done with you yet, Israel. There is more to your story. Your story doesn't end in death. Your story goes all the way to new life. And that's what he says with each of us. Your story doesn't end in death. Your story doesn't end with loss. It doesn't end with disappointment. It doesn't end with defeat. It doesn't end with standing over the grave of a loved one. Your story doesn't end there. Because our God has shown us again and again that he is a God that moves us from death to life. That he is all about our raising up. That he is all about bringing to life the good and the new and the holy and the fresh. That's what our God does. And so when you come into my office or Paul's or Matt's or Aaron's or many of your teachers and you talk about a death and a disappointment and a loss and you're struggling and we will sit and we will grieve together and we will eat chocolate and I have good Kleenex in my office, not the scratchy ones. I've got good ones in my office. You can come and you can cry. We'll cry. And then because I know a little bit about what it takes to get through this. I will not let you leave my office without reminding you that God is a God of resurrection. He loves to bring people back to life.
So whatever your idol is, and he will show you, what's it going to take to kill it? What's it going to take? Ask him. Because he wants you to take the idols down so that he can be Lord. And we do things like worship, and we have this Bible study, and we have prayer, and we do these things. And I do these things because I'm very aware if I don't do these things, it's so tempting for me to say, oh, let's take these idols and put them back up. And just polish them up a little bit. Because they look a lot like Jesus, but they're not. And if I'm not praying and reading scripture and coming into worship, and if I don't have an accountability person or partner or people in my life, I'm going to keep wanting to reach back for those idols. And God's like, no, 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 we've talked about this. Come on. So every day, he and I have a conversation again about the fact that he loves me for who I am. So every day, have a conversation with him to remember who you are and remember who he is because he is the God who longs to move us from death to life. Will you pray with me? Jesus Christ, you are the resurrection and the life. We thank you for that. We thank you that you are patient with us and yet you are insistent. That you say, I have bigger plans for you than you can even imagine. Let go of those idols. Let go of the false dreams. Put to death the things that need to die so that we can get to work, so that we can have fun, that we can celebrate life. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one who has conquered death and sin and hell, and we do not need to be afraid, but instead we can move forward with boldness as you lead us from death to life. In your name we pray. Amen.